does working less sound impossible? Well, it's not. Working a shorter week and guaranteeing a longer weekend is possible for you, and the benefits are incredible. You know, our tendency to work more has been backfiring for a long time. It's time to embrace a new way of living that prioritizes what brings out the best in our personal and professional lives. This is the 5AM Miracle, episode number 410. A four-day week? Yeah, Thursday is the new Friday with Joe Sanok. Good morning, I am Jeff Sanders, and this is the podcast dedicated to dominating your day before breakfast. My guest today is the host of the popular The Practice of the Practice podcast. He is also the author of Thursday is the New Friday, How to Work Fewer Hours, Make More Money, and Spend Time Doing What You Want, which examines how the four-day work week boosts creativity and productivity. And now here is my interview with Joe Sanok. Jeff, I'm so excited to be here. Let's just kick things off this week with a bit about you and your work. We're going to get to your book and, and dig through that in a minute. Uh, but first, I want to give our audience a chance to know a little more about you and what keeps you busy on most days. So let's just start there. Yeah, well, if we're talking what keeps me busy most days, it would be my six-year-old and 10-year-old daughters. Mm. Uh, I love hanging out with them. And often I end up with glitter in my hair and <laughs> something that has to do with unicorns. So so I definitely start with that because uh, they're my world. But what, what keeps me busy with my actual work is I help therapists to start, grow, and scale their private practices. I'm trained as a counselor and as a psychologist. And for years, I had my own counseling practice till I sold that in 2019. Uh, but really, in grad school, was never taught anything about the business or productivity of how you actually run a business. And so uh, for years, I've, I've taught people how to do that. And we have membership communities and consulting and mastermind groups through that. Excellent. Yeah, that's great to hear. Um, I have one daughter myself and one daughter on the way, so I'm excited to, to oh, join congratulations. you. congratulations. Yeah, thank you. I'm excited to have more glitter in my house coming up pretty soon, so mm-hmm. yeah, that'll mm-hmm. be a lot of fun. Um, let's, let's dig into your new book now. Um, this is a great topic for this show, and I'm, I'm excited to discuss this. So your book is called Thursday is the New Friday, How to Work Fewer Hours, Make More Money, and Spend Time Doing What You Want. Um, kind of ironically, our, our discussion today, we're recording on a Thursday, um, so I guess today is the last day of the week, which is kind of fun. So um, I, I'm already like mentally and like, you know, practically on board with the idea that working less is a great thing. But let's kind of take this back a minute and talk about kind of how we got to this idea of working 40 hours a week or working five days a week. Like what's the, the history behind kind of our, I don't know, this, this systematic you know, flow that we're all in to work the many hours that we do? Yeah, I always like to look back at the history to understand the context of how we got here because oftentimes it shifts things that we think are a solid reality that has to stay a solid reality. So let's go back several thousand years to the Babylonians. The Babylonians were the ones that invented the seven-day week. Uh, And that was because they had seven major astrological things that they noticed in the sky. The sun, the moon, Earth, Mercury, Venus, Mars, and Jupiter. And that's why we have seven days. 
And so then fast forward, the Egyptians, they had an eight-day week. The Romans had a 10-day week. It wasn't even until around the year 300 when the Roman emperor converted to Christianity that we had the seven-day week be mostly the norm. And that even fluctuated and changed throughout history of seven days being the norm. So we could just as easily have a five-day week and have 73 of those in a year. So if we just start with, we made up the seven-day week, uh, then it's like, whoa, this thing that we think is has always been the case case is actually something we invented. Because in nature, it makes sense to have a year be when we go around the sun. It makes sense to have a day be how long it takes to spin, but there's nothing in nature that points to seven days. So fast forward to the late 1800s, early 1900s. The average person was working 10 to 14 hours a day, six to seven days a week. So all the time. And then Henry Ford in 1926 said that people would not buy a car if they didn't have something fun to do, the, they, if they didn't have weekends. And so for the, having the opportunity to sell to his own staff, he said, if we give people a 40-hour work week here and give them a weekend, they're more likely to buy a car to go do something fun than to just drive to work. And so in 1926, less than 100 years ago, the 40-hour work week became a thing. And so if we just start with these things that we really kind of feel are solid institutions, the seven-day week, the 40-hour work week, we made them up. And so now we're living post-pandemic, hopefully. Uh, yeah. we're, we're living post-pandemic when we had this global experiment on changing how we work. And so many of us are saying, why would we ever go back to the old way? We are leaving that industrialist era. It was our, We were already leaving it before that, but that was the final nail in the coffin. So now we're transitioning into whatever that new next version is. And for our generation, I genuinely believe that's going to be the four-day work week. So for most people, I, I mean... I work for myself. I have for about seven years. And so I have control over my time in a lot of ways that other people don't. I know a lot of the pushback I can already hear kind of in people's heads is going to be, well, you know, my boss, well, let me do that. This whole idea, like I want to work less. I want to shift to a four-day work week. So let's kind of go with that direction of, you know, practically speaking for a lot of people, what does it look like to work less? And is there a way that we can, you know, structure our time in a way where that is actually possible? Yeah, I mean, let's start with that typical person that's working for somebody else. So it feels like they're powerless in that situation. Uh, I love to point to this guy, Ted Forrester, who is an HVAC instructor at Kalamazoo Valley Community College in Southwest Michigan. It's a small community college, very solid, typical institution. Uh, no, nothing super special about it. Uh, and Ted, every Friday, went up on the roof through a whole summer and took pictures of the parking lot to show just how few students were at Kalamazoo Valley Community College. And then he started running the numbers for HVAC costs for air conditioning on a Friday. And he eventually presented these findings to the board. And they switched to a four-day work week for the summers uh, a number of years ago, and they've saved millions of dollars in just air conditioning costs. But then you also look at staff retention. Like, who wants to leave a job where they have a four-day work week in the summertime and only work 36 hours? Um, you look at student success, being able to then come into offices later you know, during the summertime. Uh, you look at the efficiencies. And so in so many different ways with health outcomes, Kalamazoo Valley Community College is a model of how this really can work when you experiment. And that's where I would have people start if they're in that traditional job role, is that they have a conversation with their supervisor. Uh, and there are supervisors that have that industrialist mindset that they just want people in the chair for 40 hours. They're not going to change. And then you have to say to yourself, is this a good fit for me long term if they have that mindset? Because there may be industries that just choose never to do this model. 
But say your your supervisor is is up for the challenge, is up for some innovation. They think that it could make them look good by showing that they have a more creative team. And so you want to start with a smaller team of six to eight people or so uh, that are all on board together. So usually it's a team within a department um, that can say, let's outline first our key performance indicators. What are the KPIs that each of our roles and our team is judged by already? So working a 40-hour week, how do we even know if we're successful in a week? And so having that conversation, uh, then moving into what are the boundaries that we're going to set around our time outside of work? So are we not going to check emails after the kids are in bed? Uh, are we going to have Friday be fully off or are we going to have a little bit of email? Uh, are we never going to email over the weekend or what are those kind of hard and soft boundaries? Because if as a team you do that, then you can come back refreshed on Monday morning. And that's where I think a lot of productivity um, books often miss the mark is that they don't start with it. The brain needs to feel rejuvenated and, and rested before it can really go into that productivity. So then after you've done that with the team, uh, then you want to have at least weekly updates to that supervisor uh, where you're saying what those KPIs are, where you're at with your numbers, uh, and then what you're going to change to increase those numbers. So say you're saying we want to have this level of client satisfaction. Uh, This week we're down 2%. What are we going to do to change that? So that team is then going to bust it for two or three months, you know, during that experiment. Uh, And who who wouldn't want to push as hard as they could during that time if they knew that there was the potential for doing a four-day work week to show these outcomes? So then you're going to, at the end, uh, sit down with that supervisor, do a a kind of full circle review on what went well, what needs improvement, and then decide if you're going to do another experiment. Yeah, I love that concept of, of, you know, proving the idea that this could work. And so let's imagine that that does actually take place and a a team has moved to a four-day work week. Are people actually as productive working one less day per week? Because I can imagine that the most obvious question would be like, well, if I work one day less, isn't that going to be, you know, a 20% decrease in productivity overall? Like, how do those numbers play out? Yeah, you know, I I like to often say that Friday's been cheating on the work week for a long time. So why don't we just call it the affair that it is? Because (laughs) if we really look at Friday, uh, is that as productive as Monday morning? Absolutely not. We're thinking about our weekend. We might be, you know, texting our partner about plans for the night. We wouldn't tell our boss these things, but we all know that Fridays are lighter than other days. It's when we host birthday parties or baby showers or do some team building or visioning activity. And it's just not the same level of productivity. So I, I like to think about what, what feels intuitive, but then also is there research to support it? And so we look at uh, the new Iceland study that came out of 2,500 people that worked four day work weeks over several years. And they found that they were as productive productive, they were actually happier and had better health outcomes. Uh, We're seeing countries like Spain, Portugal, New Zealand, uh, Kickstarter uh, is not a country, (laughs) a business uh, that's that's doing the four-day work week that's moving towards that. So what we're seeing is that what happens to your question, isn't it 20% less work? If you start moving towards a four-day work week and you have 20 tasks in a week that are solid tasks you need to get done and then say it is 20 percent, so you cut out 20 percent of that and all of a sudden you're not able to do all 20 and you're only doing 16. are you going to be doing the 16 that are most important or are you going to be doing the 16 that are least important you're naturally going to move towards those things that really are the single best use of your energy and so what's likely to happen is that we're going to see parkinson's law come through which is that work expands to the time given that you're going to maybe not overthink things as much that you're going to get them done faster that you're going to uh maybe take some shortcuts and realize whoa like that actually helped me get this done quicker than i would have got it done 
and the things that you drop the ball on are probably the worst use of your time and should be either handed off to another staff or just completely eliminated from the tasks that you're doing. What if in 2024, you got a little bit better every day? When you're learning a new language with my sponsor, Babbel, that's exactly what you're doing. And if Babbel can help you start speaking a new language in just three weeks, imagine what you could do in a full year. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Finally achieve your new language goal in 2024 with Babbel the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Babbel's convenient courses have helped me to learn real-life conversation skills in German, including ordering food and asking for directions without having to rely on language apps while traveling. Babbel has over 16 million subscriptions sold. Plus, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Now, here's a special limited-time deal for my listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for my listeners at babbel.com slash 5am. Get 55% off at babbel.com slash 5am, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash 5am. Rules and restrictions may apply. Yeah, I mean, that's naturally what happens for, for me. I know that for a long time I've been, you know, shortening my work days. I've been shifting my hours around. And it's true that the natural inclination, at least for me, has been to do the work that is most important and the things that are less just tend to not ever happen. I guess my next question would be like, from that perspective, like, are there long-term drawbacks to that? Or is it really just that when the most important work is getting done, that the four-day work week really is sustainable? Obviously, the Iceland study is a great example. I think that the I saw recently as well, where it really does appear that this is actually a sustainable practice that is still productive, even if, you know, people have to, I guess, adjust for a while. Yeah, I think that a great example of why this works was when I was in Nepal after my uh, college experience, I went there with a friend of mine and we were in the Chitwan jungle. And we're at the edge of this jungle and our guide says to us, if we get, if we get chased by a wild rhinoceros, make sure you climb a tree. And really, I should have asked a couple follow-up questions, but I didn't. <laughs> I should have asked something like, uh, what kind of tree should we climb? Uh, is there a technique that I should learn for climbing trees in Nepal? Like, Is this something that happens like once a year or once a week? Is this a normal thing? So I didn't ask any of those questions. So we go into the jungle. We're walking for about an hour, and we see this wild rhinoceros. And this was 2001. And so I have a point-and-click camera. It's not digital. I can't see if the picture turned out. So I take a picture. And then that little zip, 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 and I take a, a step forward to get a better picture, take it again. And then at that point, I should have stopped stepping forward, but I didn't. I took another step forward and this rhino charged us. So I took off running because in high school, I had been a sprinter and my friend Todd, who I was with, was long distance. So I knew for at least 100 yards or so, I would be in the lead. And then there was a couple Peace Corps volunteers. So I had several human shields behind me. <laughs> so then I don't hear this rhino anymore. We come back. Our guide is up in a tree and shimmies down and yells at us for not climbing the tree. So why didn't I climb the tree? I didn't climb the tree because I went with what I knew best. I knew I could outrun Todd for at least 100 yards. I knew that that I could definitely outrun the Peace Corps volunteers. I wasn't going to try something new in the middle of being chased by a a rhino. And, And so if we think about 
our average pacing, the hashtag hustle culture, where we're pushing everybody to do more in less time. And, and it's just, it's just too much. And the brain can't handle it. It feels like it's being chased by a wild rhino. And, and so what we've actually found in the brain research is that when you slow down, even with micro breaks, which we can talk about how best to do that, uh, that we actually get more effective work done, more creative work done. Our brain is able to talk to different parts of the brain differently than when we're stressed out and maxed out. Yeah, that's incredible. I think the idea of slowing down to improve you know, how we get things done, I think is really important. Let's go with the idea of micro breaks here, because I think that there's a lot to be said about how you know, how we can get through and, and, you know less time, but getting the, the same amount of work done. So how, how does that work? Yeah, there was this study out of the University of Illinois that was really interesting. So they were looking at vigilance decrement. Vigilance meaning how well you can pay attention to something. Decrement meaning that it breaks down over time. So basically, the way you start at the beginning of a boring task or a tough task, uh, you're going to be paying attention more than at the end of that task. So the idea was that our brains and our energy are basically like a glass of water that you slowly are pouring out this energy or this focus and it just there's not really a way to refill it so they wanted to challenge that idea so they gave students a really really boring task so they gave them a four digit number say it was 4312 and every time 4312 came up on the computer over an hour period of time then they had to push a button but every time a different number came up they were supposed to do nothing so for an hour they're pushing this button it's just boring 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 And by the end of it, they experienced vigilance decrement. The amount they paid attention at the end was worse than how they paid attention at the beginning. So then they had a second second group. And the second group, what they did is at the one-third mark, they gave them a one-minute break. In this one-minute break, they'd, you know, have them go in the lobby and they didn't have phones or anything that they could, you know, anything electronic that they could use. So it was a genuine just one-minute break. And then they came back in and for the next third of the study they were there and then they gave them another one minute break so about every 20 minutes or so they gave a one minute break and they found that there was no vigilance decrement at the end of that study so they paid attention to this very boring task just as well at the end as they had at the beginning and and so the idea is that sometimes we say oh my gosh i have to take a three-day weekend in order to be productive sure that's going to help most people to take a genuine break from their work but also the way we work within the work the brain research is revealing just how well we can we can be with our productivity if we even take these micro breaks and do some things within our environment. So why why is it in the brain that that happens? I mean, you picture if you have been walking through the jungle for 40 years and you knew that there was a tiger there, but you had never seen the tiger. The way that you pay attention after 40 years is probably going to be different than on day one. But if you just heard from your friend, I just got chased by a tiger yesterday. I haven't seen one in in 30 or 40 years and it just chased me. It's on the prowl. You're going to think differently. In the same way, our brains, when it takes a break from a boring task or a task that needs extreme focus, it comes back and it's aware of, of the environment differently. And so we're tricking the brain using the fact that we haven't evolved as fast as our technology. It's still scared of tigers. And so we're using that for our advantage to then have hyper focus when we're working. Yeah, I like that. I, I think I know that experience of coming back to work and, and experiencing it in a different way. There's definitely a lot of truth to that. Um, what the idea of a micro break, what are we doing in that time? Like you mentioned the idea in the study they didn't have access to phones. Is it going to be best for us in a micro break to do something specific like a minute of push-ups or a minute of meditation or you know, what do we do in that time? 
Yeah, I think it would be more what we don't do. So we don't go onto technology. We don't do kind of the norm of what we would typically do uh, in regards to uh, if you're always a person that, that picks up your phone and you're looking at different things, don't do that. Uh, if you can get outside and even just take some fresh air, uh, if you can uh, do some push-ups, do something physical, that's that's good. Something where you rest your mind, like meditation, all those things that you listed would be great options. Um, and I think what's different about my book than most productivity books is most productivity books are very, very prescriptive. They say, here's the exact model. If you don't follow it, you're, you're in or you're out. Um, and I view my book more as a menu to say, I want to teach you how to think so that you can do experiments ongoing and, and say, okay, push-ups didn't work for me as well for focus as doing meditation or, you know, meditation worked really well. Or I want to compare that today to just taking a step outside for a minute, um, teaching you how to think so that you refine yourself over time. Instead of just saying, here's the one way to do it. Cause Joe Sanok said it, uh, it's more, I believe that you are a very smart person that can adjust and adapt in a way that can help you kind of unleash things within you that maybe you wouldn't have discovered without these experiments. Yeah, experiments are great. I love the idea of testing new models. And that's but the idea of, of a four-day work week. Let's go with that angle as well. You mentioned this idea of a three-day weekend, which is what people experience with a, a shorter work week. And then the same question, I think, comes up there. What are we doing in those three days to help us recover so that Monday morning is going to be you know, productive again? Because I think a lot of us might spend those three days in a lot of different ways. So are there better models for us to, to use that time? Yeah. So I think one problem that people like you and I have, because we do make our own schedules, we're entrepreneurs, we're, go, we're go-getters, and we like the work that we do. It's not like you and I are showing up to podcast and being like, dang it, I, I hate doing this. I mean, it's fun, <laughs> true, right? True. And, and so because of that, we probably have ideas coming all the time. And, and those ideas don't say, oh, it's the weekend. I'm going to take a break till Monday morning. And so figuring out systems for yourself in what do you do when those ideas come up so that they don't take over, so that you're not spending 90 minutes on a Saturday when you should be hanging out with your family thinking about this new idea. Uh, you want to capture it, but how do you capture it so that you can jump back into that flow state to think about that new idea? And, and so I, I would start with first hi, really high level. How are you going to capture ideas, to-do list items, things like that in a way that you can quickly take it off your brain, but that you're not thinking about it when you're taking that break? So that could be just a note on your phone. It could be that you have a to-do list in your calendar for Monday morning or Monday afternoon or Tuesday morning that you kind of add to the to-do list. However, whatever system you use, the system doesn't matter as much as the principle of let's take it out of your brain and, and give it to the future. Um, so I'd start there. I would also add that we want to have soft boundaries and hard boundaries. So for example, I wrote a book about not working on Friday. So if I have a consulting client or a new consulting client that says, I really want to work with you on Friday mornings, like that's the only time that I have to work. I'm never going to take that client. I'm going to say, sorry, I wrote the book on this. I got to live it. This is a principle that I have to live. It, it doesn't matter how much they want to pay me. It, it's going to be that this is a hard boundary of something I never do. Whereas if on a Friday morning, there's an emergency that comes up within practice of the practice and my director of details texts me, oh my gosh, this thing just happened. Um, your attorney just emailed these things and you really should jump in on this. Like that's a soft boundary where I'm going to try to not do email on a Friday morning. But if some emergency happens, I'm going to do that. And so setting for yourself some of these hard and soft boundaries uh, of when you're done and, and when what bookends you can give yourself is important as well. So for example, with my family, I, I have two daughters. I'm a single dad. 
And, and so if they're home and they're playing, I'll go give them a hug at the beginning of the day. And I'll say, dad's going to work upstairs in the office. I'm not leaving. Um, I'd give them hugs, have an awesome time. I'll be down at lunchtime. Um, don't forget you're going over to Yaya's house. That's my sister who lives like in my backyard. You're going there at 1030, set a timer. And then I say goodbye as if I'm leaving to go to an office. And then when it's time for me to come back, I come give them hugs again. So then the family has these bookends of daddy's done working and now we can play. Daddy's done working and now we can go out to eat or go for a bike ride. And so for them, I'm then structuring in what are those bookends as well for them and also for myself. Yeah, I think the concept of having, you see this idea about um, entrepreneurs and we have our own rules and we have this sense that you know we can kind of create our own schedule. But even those who work for someone else, we kind of have this sense of, you know, there are things we have autonomy over, choices that we can make. And so I, I guess my question or my my personal struggle, so let's say this, is making that decision about the hard and soft boundaries and knowing what rules to set and what rules to break. Do you have, I mean, you mentioned this idea of, of a filter basically of like if the you know business is on fire, I will take care of it. But if it's not, I'm not going to do that. Like, are there ways for us to make those kinds of decisions to say, you know, I'm going to have a four day work week. Here's what I'm going to you know commit to doing. And then here's, I guess, like a no list for the weekend, things I will absolutely not do. Like, do we have to be that prescriptive in terms of how our time is, is mapped out? I would be more apt to recommend people add one thing and remove one thing at a time. And so, for example, every Wednesday, I do improv. I'm in an improv troupe. I laugh harder than I do the rest of the week. It's ridiculous. I don't think I'm going to be a professional improver, but it's just plain fun. So I've added that to my schedule. A couple of years ago, I added curling because I just thought curling is huh. a weird sport. I want to learn how to curl. <laughs> you know, it's like you see these people sweeping on the ice. I didn't even know how it was. So a few years ago, I took a welcome to curling class and I was like, this is fun for a chapter. So for a few years, I curled every Tuesday. And so I would say adding something into your schedule then forces you to do that thing because you've signed up for curling. Your team is, is relying on you. Um, so I'd say adding something, but then also removing. So looking at what are those things on the weekend in particular that just cause so much stress? So most people, I would say, especially in our age demographic where they have young kids and they're trying to make sure their kids are set up for life and we have all this pressure to live this Instagram life, both in business, but then also in the way that we live our family. And to just pause and say, is this what we want for our family? Um, do I want every single Saturday morning to be going to soccer? Like to me, that doesn't sound fun. Um, and so my kids are in sports, but it's usually time limited sports where it's a sailing camp for a couple of weeks. And then I'm allowing them to explore other sports for a couple of weeks. Um, and I'm sure at some point, you know, when they're in middle school and high school, they'll get more committed to longer term sports. But when they're little, I also want them to be able to go play in the woods and to just roam the neighborhood. We have a safe neighborhood um, where they can just go knock on people's doors. I want that for them. And so even saying, well, this season we're going to remove soccer uh, or we're going to remove an instrument or we're going to remove mowing our own lawn, um, to find those little things that are causing stress where you say, if that was off my plate for the weekend, oh, what would I do? Oh, I'd go to the beach or we'd have more adventures or we, we just find something to do that really builds me up. And I, I think that's a concept that I teach my daughters a lot is just the idea of listen to your body. I think in particular, women haven't been told listen to your bodies for a long time. And so to teach them that, um, that's something that we can learn as well. Of If I feel stressed on Monday morning because of my weekend, something has to change.
fast forward to the end of 2024 and think about your goals. What can you do right now to give yourself the best chance of succeeding? If you want to learn a new language, you absolutely should check out my sponsor, Babbel. Finally achieve your new language goal in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Babbel has over 16 million subscriptions sold, and studies from Yale, Michigan State University, and others continue to prove Babbel is better. One study found that using Babbel for 15 hours is equivalent to a full semester at college. Babbel's convenient courses have helped me to learn real-life conversation skills in German, including ordering food and asking for directions, without having to rely on language apps while traveling. Now, here's a special limited-time deal for my listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for my listeners at babbel.com slash 5am. Get 55% off at babbel.com slash 5am, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash 5am. Rules and restrictions may apply. I really like this concept. I think this, this really speaks to me. I, you're an example here of, you know, soccer on a Saturday morning that you don't enjoy or mowing your lawn. I think a lot of us live that life of, you know, kind of like the idea of the 40-hour work week. We've kind of lived a certain way. We've set certain standards. We've said yes to certain things for so long that it feels like that's what we have to do. And I think that we, what you hit on here is this real idea of being intentional and making those changes of saying, you know, if there are things that I have said yes to for a long time that I just don't have to, and if those things were not there, then all of a sudden I have options. Like, I really like that idea of saying my weekend can be something else. My relaxation time can be something better. I feel like that's going to hit home with a lot of listeners. Oh, absolutely. And I think that that idea of thinking differently, of saying, like, what do I want my life to be? Uh, is something that we're not often encouraged to do. And so in the middle of the pandemic, I bought a 37-foot camper and I said, I want my kids to experience the world rather than have Zoom school. And so from September of 2020 until April of 2021, we lived on the road. We went to national parks. We saw sunsets in Arizona and New Mexico. Well, we saw sunsets everywhere. They were just more beautiful in Arizona and New Mexico. <laughs> uh, you know, we, we went to Death Valley and to Yosemite and went whale watching in Monterey Bay. And and we we lived a life where they got to experience the world. And you don't have to do that level of, of leaving but I think many of us just kind of fall into a default for the weekend. You know, on Friday night, we maybe get together with friends. And then on Saturday, we take our kids to soccer. And then we go grocery shopping. Then we mow the lawn. And then by Sunday morning, we're like, shoot, I got to go to work tomorrow. And, and instead of saying, how could I feel most ready to work on Monday by relaxing super hard over the weekend? What would be something that if we did these things over the weekend, it would just fill me up so much? Well, Maybe we need to eat just a touch healthier. Maybe we need to sleep just a little bit longer. Um, maybe we need to be in nature for an extra hour this weekend. You know, all these really small things all start to add up where by Monday morning, you're just ready to kill it instead of being exhausted and frustrated that it's Monday morning. What does someone do who is listening to this and saying, like, I want to make this move, but like, I, I, I can just, I sense this, there's going to be a, like a mental block of saying, you know, I want to live that life where I can you know, travel across the country for six months or, you know, work fewer hours. I feel like there's going to be some sense of a, like, 
I am attached to the old way of doing things and I want to make a big move. Does someone make these moves in, in small little increments or is this like a draw a big line in the sand and say, starting next week, my whole life is different? That's where I would say it's up to the individual, but do something. Uh, and so I would start with challenging the industrialist mindset that's in your brain. So just being able to label okay, the way I'm thinking is how industrialists think. Um, do I actually believe that people are just parts of a machine? When I look at my kids, do I say, you're just little adults and you're going to be part of the machine of society? Absolutely not. Uh, we don't see people like the industrialists saw people. We don't see systems in the same way. If anything, we've shifted into more of an evolutionary model. So even in my own business, every year I ask people three questions. Uh, the first question is, what do they love doing that they keep wanting to do? Secondly, what do you hate doing that you want to take off your plate? And third, how are you growing or where do you want to grow where you need some training or some upgrading? So they may want to take a video editing class, even though that's not been a part of their role. So it evolves. And so I think that when people start to view themselves as evolving, instead of just that we're part of a machine, machines are stagnant. They need to be fixed. They need to be oiled and they, they stay the same way. Whereas an organism uh, starts to evolve and grow and shape differently over time. And so... Whether that's a big shift at once, there's times in life that either stuff hits the fan or other reasons that you say, I'm ready for a big change. Awesome. Run with that. Do that. And then there's other times when you say, I am so stressed out with being the dad of two daughters uh, that I can just take a small step and make a green smoothie every afternoon for myself and to make sure I get eight hours of sleep. Okay, that's great. That's a great first step. Once you start feeling the effects of that, I imagine you're going to want to take other steps that are going to help you feel better outside of work. But then when you're in work, you're ready to kill it even more. Yeah, I love it. I think there's so much to be said about yeah, being more intentional about making those changes that you want to make for yourself that you know are effective. I think there's a lot we can do with that. Um, Joe, what else about the book that we did not cover today that you will make sure we discuss? Yeah, I think one thing to touch on is the idea of internal inclinations. So this is the very first part of the book uh, where we start internally. So kind of the flow of the book is we start internally with your natural inclinations, then we move into slowing down, and then we move into killing it. Uh, and the reason we do that is that so often productivity books start with, here's what you need to do without ever doing any inner work. And so the work that you're doing you know, with your time isn't going to be as effective if you don't know kind of where you're coming from and the posture inside. And so that's why we start with your internal inclinations. And there's three internal inclinations that research has found that top performers have. Uh, and these aren't pass-fail. It's not like if you don't have them, oh, you, you shouldn't you know, be a leader or you shouldn't be an entrepreneur. It's we just want to know where your starting point is. Where are your natural strengths and where are the ones that need to be developed? So those three internal inclinations are curiosity, the ability to have an outsider's perspective, and the ability to move on it. And, and so let's break those down. So curiosity. Uh, when I was writing that chapter, I started brainstorming, okay, what, what comes to mind around curiosity? And the first thing that came to mind was curiosity killed the cat. I dug into the research behind that in the early 1900s. The front page of the Washington Post said curiosity killed the cat. Because there was this cat that was stuck in a chimney that the nation was watching for like five days through the papers. Like, it must have been a super slow news week. Um, <laughs> but they were following like the fire people, like undoing this chimney, trying to find the cat. And they finally found this cat was dead. But what does that teach our kids? What does that teach me as an adult that curiosity killed the cat? I mean, if you do something new, you might die. Like, that's a terrible message for our kids and for us. Um, and effective leaders are curious. And so instead of waiting for just a eureka moment, 
they they see something and they say, well, that's interesting. Like, what else is behind that? Uh, and I mean, you have kids, Jeff. So do I. It, kids have unending whys. You know, mm-hmm. my my daughter and uh, my nieces were outside and they found a dead mouse. And they were like, how do you think it died? What's going to happen to it next? Do you think an owl will eat it? Should we put it in the forest? I mean, a million questions. And, and at some point that leaves us. Um, but effective leaders retain that. So say you do a Facebook ad campaign and it's a total failure. Effective leaders will say, okay, what information, what data have we, we got about our audience from this? What have we learned from this? How do we see this as an experiment and be curious around it? The, the second internal inclination uh, is having an outsider's perspective. Research supports that if you can have an outsider's perspective, you actually have more insight than people on the inside. Uh, you may have experienced this when you've been hired somewhere and you come into an organization and you say, that's weird. Why do they do it that way? And they've never even thought about why they keep doing something a certain way. And sometimes you learn that there's a good reason why they do it a certain way. And sometimes you learn that, wow, we really should change things. Uh, There was a a research study around colors that brought in people and they showed them a green or a blue. And what happened was they'd say, okay, is this green? Is this blue? And people mostly agreed with each other. But then in the second part of the study, they brought in two researchers um, that they didn't know were researchers that were just amongst the group. And occasionally when it was a blue, they would say green, or when it was green, they would say blue. And they found that statistically, those outsiders had more influence than they should have had within that group. And so outsider perspective is the second internal inclination. And the last one is the ability to move on it. Um, So often there's a spectrum between accuracy on one side and speed on the other. And and there's times we want things to be accurate. Uh, If I go into the hospital and I'm under the knife, I want that doctor, I want her to spend as much time as she needs to to be accurate in that surgery. But most of what we do in the business world and in the productivity world we need speed to be the focus more than accuracy. We can always reshape and redo it later. Um, and effective leaders are people that are able to move quickly, get the data, and then change things. I love it. I think the idea of of all those three you just mentioned, I think curiosity speaks to me the most. I think it's one of those that I know from my own perspective that whenever I'm you know struggling with something, when I'm trying to overcome some obstacle, especially when it comes to time management and calendar management, is just it's asking those questions. I was like, well, what could be possible here? What if I tried something new? I feel like that has always led to breakthroughs. When I, when otherwise, if I don't ask those questions, if I just assume everything's the same, I get the same results, which is just ultimately frustrating. So yeah, I think that of all those, there's a lot to be said about just I guess asking really good questions and seeing where that takes you. Absolutely. And and to see how people then can find where is their natural inclination? Where do they need to work on it? So I have a whole assessment in the book to evaluate your internal inclinations and then give you tips based on, you know, if there's areas that you want to grow or if you want to expand. Excellent. Well, Joe, this has been awesome. There's a lot to be said about shifting our time and working less, which I'm always a big fan of. Even though I love productivity and getting things done, I especially love rest as well. It's a big part of that. So where can our listeners uh, get you know learn more from you and get a copy of the book? Yeah, so my website is joesanok.com. We have all sorts of experiments that people are submitting there. We're trying to have this be a communal effort where we know people are going to try some really wacky things and we want to be able to give them a megaphone to say, here's what we tried. It was a failure. It was not a failure so that we can learn together because moving away from the industrialists, it's going to be that organism working together. Uh, So we have a lot of information over at joesanok.com. Thursday is the new Friday.com. You can find all the details there, uh, wherever you get your books, whether it's Amazon, your local bookstore, uh, you can pre-order everywhere. I know that when this is going live, it's the day before it releases on October 5th. So uh, anywhere that you get your books, you can get Thursday is the new Friday. 
Okay, excellent. I'll have those links for listeners this week in the show notes page. And other than that, Joe, yeah, thanks a lot. Thanks so much, Jeff. This was amazing. And for that action step this week, stop working on Fridays. Yes. Well, it's not quite that simple, but isn't it? What if you could no longer work on Fridays? What would change immediately on your calendar? How would you restructure your time, projects, and deadlines? Give it a try. See what happens. JeffSanders.com slash 410, as in 410, is the place to go to get the episode notes. Also, go to 5AMMiracle.com to join the 5AM Club and get free email updates about the show. That's all I've got for you here on the 5AM Miracle Podcast this week. Until next time, you have the power to change your life. And the fun begins bright and early. Hey, it's Jeff Sanders, and I'm here to tell you about Greg McEwen and his amazing show, The Greg McEwen Podcast, part of the Yap Media Network. Want to achieve more by doing less, all while avoiding burnout? You can design a life that really matters with Greg McEwen, author of New York Times bestsellers, Effortless and Essentialism. His mission is to help you advocate and negotiate your way to remarkable results. Every Tuesday, Greg discusses one key topic he finds interesting and valuable through the lens of the essentialist. Every Thursday, he invites thought leaders, entrepreneurs, celebrities, and people like you for inspired weekly conversations focused on learning how to do what matters first and do less but better. His content will stir your thoughts and spark inspiration and action. And his British accents, well, that's just the cherry on top. Subscribe to the Greg McEwen podcast today on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform.